Good morning. I know I've got a big mouth, but there's a lot of you. All right. Who do people say that I am? You're on the right track. You're on the right track. You ever asked that question? Who do people say that I am? What do people say about me? What do they see in me? You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked this question to his disciples. Who do people say that I am? And they spouted off a couple answers. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Some say that you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus turned it and he made it personal. He said, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that responded. And he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You see, Peter believed Jesus. Brian talked to us last week about the difference in believing in something and truly believing something. Peter believed Jesus. He didn't just believe in him. He didn't just believe the stories he had heard. He didn't just believe the things that he had seen. He believed him. He had done life with him. He had walked with him. He had experienced him. He believed him. What about you and I? Do we believe Jesus like that? Are we all in, committed to him at that level? Do we believe him? Or do we just believe in him? Because a lot of people believe in Jesus. Where are you at? And what if you ask the other question, who do people say that I am? What would people say? What do they see in you? I was asking myself that question this week. Who do people say I am? And some of the responses you just yelled at are things that came to mind. Oh, you're Brian Legg. You're one of the pastors on the pastor team at TBA. You're that redneck pastor. You're the guy that drives a big truck and hunts hogs for fun. You're the guy that always has a knife in your pocket. Yes, even on stage on Sunday morning when I'm speaking. And for my small group, yes, this is my dress knife. Carl? You're the challenge pastor. You're the guy that, you know, doesn't like to to deal with all the fluff. Let's just get to the truth. Let's deal with it. And it's not that I don't care about people, but let's not spend all day worrying about how each other feels. Let's just talk about it and deal with it. To my family, who would they say that I am? My girls, you know, I'm daddy. And some day that's loving, encouraging. Some days it's hot-tempered and impatient. To my wife, I'm her husband. And some days that means lover and friend, and some days that's distant and disconnected. Who do people say that I am? Who do they say that you are? See, as I asked that question, the thing that kept coming back to me was not these little things about who people say that I am. Those are funny and well and good, and okay, these are pieces of of me. But who do people say I am when it comes to my faith? When it comes to my belief? What do people see in me? Stivey talked to us last week about having the kind of belief that has takeover properties, that faith, that's like the faith of a mustard seed. We talked about that. He showed you this slide. And you see that teeny tiny mustard seed in between the fingers. And you see that it can grow into a tree or this huge bush, depending on the variety of seed that you have. And it's a picture of faith that is growing from this teeny, teeny, tiny seed to this massive plant that takes over everything around it if it's not contained. When people look at my life, do they see that kind of belief? Do they see that kind of faith in me? Do they see a man with dangerous takeover properties? Do they see a man who's broken, and who God's working through and developing. 
and who's growing every day? Or do they just see all the other stuff that we laugh about? What about you? When people look at your life, what do they see? Who are you to everyone else? Let's look at that story together this morning where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? In Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I just told you the story a while ago, but I I want you to think about this story because I think a lot of times we read this and we hear about the encounter, but we don't understand what's really going on. We don't understand the context around it. I told you last week I had the privilege a couple weeks ago going to Israel, and I actually got to go to Caesarea Philippi. And here's a picture of it. It's this huge rock face. And if you look inside the rock, you can see these little spots that are cut out where they've carved into the rock. And these are places where others would come to worship pagan gods and idols at Caesarea Philippi. This was not a Jewish location. This was not a place that they were coming to worship God. This was a place that was built by the son of King Herod, the same King Herod who was trying to kill all the babies when Jesus was born. And his son builds this place, and he wants to honor Caesar, Caesar Augustus at the time. So he names it Caesarea after Caesar. And then, of course... In the same vein as what his dad would have done, the egotism that plays into it, he names it Caesarea Philippi after him, Philip. And so this is a place where we have all of these different belief systems, all of these different people coming to worship their gods, their pagan gods, their idols. And just below this, I'm standing here in front of it, and you can see back behind, these are all places that have been dug up that have different small temples and places of worship that were there for all of those pagan gods and idols. And it was probably in a similar place to where I'm standing that Jesus brought his disciples standing in front of this huge rock face, standing in front of this place of worship of idols and pagan gods. And he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? You've got all these people surrounding us that are worshiping all these different things. And who do people say that I am? More importantly, who do you say I am? See, I think Jesus was asking the question, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the distractions, in the midst of all the other belief systems, in the midst of all the other things that you can turn to, where are you going to turn? Do you really believe in me? Who do you say that I am? What do you see in me? And Peter is the one who responds and says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I believe you. Peter had a strong faith. He was committed. He was all in. He had been walking with Jesus, doing life with Jesus. He had seen the miracles. He had seen how Jesus was living his life. He got it. He had a get-on-the-plane kind of faith. You've probably heard that illustration before. Ed shared it here a few times, and if I'm being honest, I think Ed stole it from his wife. You can tell him I said that, but it's out of one of her books. But it's looking at the different kinds of belief that we can have. See, when you look at the Greek word for belief and you look at the translation, you realize there were three different meanings that it could have. And we don't have any good words to describe it, so we just say believe. 
But there, in reality, there's three different kinds. There's a kind of belief that's kind of like sitting in the airport terminal at the gate, and you look out the window, and you see the big planes roll in, and you watch them go out to the runway, and they taxi out, and then they take off, and they fly, and you go, I've seen planes fly. I've experienced it. I believe it. Planes can fly. And then there's the kind of belief where you go to the library, and you get some books on it, and you go on the Internet, and you Google how do planes fly, and you begin to study, and you begin to understand the aerodynamic science behind it. You go, okay, well, now I get it. I understand how they get lift. I understand how they get those big pieces of metal up in the air. I understand how they keep them there, and then they land them softly. I understand how planes fly, so I've seen them. I know they fly, and I understand it. Planes fly. I believe that. But then there's a third kind of belief. And that's the kind where you get up out of your seat at the gate and you walk down the little hallway and you get on the plane and you sit down and you fasten your seatbelt and you go, I believe that this plane is going to take me from point A to point B. And I believe I'm going to get there safely and I know it can get off the ground and I know it can fly the whole distance and I know we're going to make it. And when you get on that plane and you're flying all the way across the ocean to somewhere like Israel and you're going to be on the plane for 10 hours, you better have that kind of belief. Because that's the only thing getting you there. And that's the kind of belief that Peter had. It was the get on the plane kind of belief. He's putting all his eggs in that basket. He's willing to jump in full force, get his hands dirty, give it his everything. He believes that much. He trusts him completely. Do you have that kind of belief? Do you? Do you have those dangerous takeover properties that Brian talked about last week? That's like that mustard plant where it just can't be contained. It takes over everything around it. Is that what other people would describe of you, if you're being honest? Sometimes I think we think about that and we wonder, what does that even mean? What's that look like? This is the kind of belief that looks like a life that is fully committed to Jesus Christ and producing fruit. A life fully committed to Jesus Christ, producing fruit. Paul talks about it in Galatians, in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there's no law against such things. These are the things that are reflected in our life when we fully believe, when our heart is following after Jesus. But see, we read this verse often, or we hear this, or we quote this. But how many times do we read the verses before it? Have you ever gone back two verses before this to see what it says? Starting in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Whoa. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of things in that list. We can probably connect to one of them, can't we? But look at what it says at the beginning, because here's the difference I want you to see. In the beginning of verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, 
this isn't just a checklist of good and bad. This isn't just a checklist of the things that we do or don't do so that we can be good enough, so that our works can make it through. This is a condition of heart. What are you following? Are you following Jesus? Because if you are, then it looks like verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit. If that's where your heart is, those are the things that will be reflected. But if you're following the desires of your sinful nature, man, look at the list of what it's going to look like. And I think this is something that helps us to look inside our lives and assess, where are we? What are we following? What's it look like? What do other people see in me when it comes right down to it? See, it's a question of this. Are you growing? Do you even see these things in your life? Do you even notice that there's sin in your life anymore? Or are these things that just happen and you don't even pay attention to? What's the condition of your heart? See, Jesus came to free us from our bonds of sin. God's standards haven't changed. These are still the standards. These are the, still the things that are wrong. And he still shows us what is right. Those standards haven't changed at all. And Jesus didn't come just so we could have a free pass and get away from it. He didn't come so we could live in sin and everything be okay and no consequences. He came so that we could be free of that. We're in this series talking about trusting, believing, acting. What does TBA mean? What do we stand for? And when you think about that B, that believing the scripture that we use to back that up is out here hanging on the wall on the green magnet. Go out there and look at it. Galatians 3.22, and it talks about it's believing in the name of Jesus that frees us from those bonds of sin. That's my paraphrase. But sin entraps us, and Jesus came to free us from those bonds. What's the condition of your heart? See, here's the problem I see. We live in a world, and especially in a country, that the moral decline is evident. We live in a world where belief systems are changing all around us. And there are tons of different belief systems. And there are tons of things that play into what we have to decide is right or wrong. And I think it's in the midst of all of that, the same as Jesus asked his disciples, that he's asking of us today, who do you say that I am? How much do you really believe in me? Where's your heart in all of this? Are you going to believe everything the world tells you or are you going to believe me? Because here's the standard. It hasn't changed. Where are you at? And what's your heart reflecting? What are the weeds in your life? Those other belief systems, those other distractions that are choking out the growth that I've called you to. Look at the parable of the sower with me. In Matthew chapter 13, starting with the second half of verse 3. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Here's a parable that Jesus is telling. He's using the idea of farming, which everyone understood in the day, to explain what it's like. And now he comes back a little bit later. The disciples are asking him, you know, Jesus, help us understand exactly what you're saying. And so he explains it starting in verse 18. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. 
The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom but don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. And then the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now listen to that explanation. And the question it begs to ask is this. What kind of soil are you? Not what kind of soil do you tell people you are. What kind of soil are you when you look at the story? If you have a little introspect, if you look within the depth of your heart, the real truth that's in there, which soil are you? Are you the footpath? The heart that's hardened and is rejecting the seed that is there? You've heard the gospel message. You've heard the truth. You've heard how God, what he wants to do in your life, the grace that he offers you, the love that he has for you. And yet there's something that just keeps you from accepting that. You've hardened your heart against it. Are you the rocky soil? Where you accept the seed, but you just do nothing with it. Yeah, I, I believe planes can fly. I've seen them. But I'm not getting on a plane. No way. Just because I've seen them, that doesn't mean I've got to ride on one. Or maybe the thorny soil, full of weeds, distractions in life, things that are choking out your growth. You're that plant or that tree that's stagnant. You know what that means? It means you're dying. There's no such thing as stagnant for a plant. You're either living or dying. You're growing or you're dying. There's one or the other. It's black or white. There is no gray. There's no in-between. Or maybe you're the fertile soil. Maybe you've made that jump where you went, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm all in. I'm committed to this thing. You're growing. You're producing fruit. You're planting other seeds and bringing other people along. Keep going. Do that. That's awesome. Which soil are you? Because only you know. Only you can answer the question. You and God. You know, Jesus does an amazing job of explaining this parable. Of course, he's Jesus. You know, who better to tell a story and explain it? But I think for some of us, it may be hard to make the jump from the farmer illustration to where we are in life today. So I want us to take just a little bit of time to look practically at a couple of these and what it looks like for us, what it looks like in our lives. If you're the person who looks at this and says, well, I'm the footpath. The question I have for you is why? Why have you hardened your heart against God? Why have you hardened your heart against his message of love and grace? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that keeps you from saying, I'm going to get on the plane and I'm going to go all in. I'm going to trust him and believe in him. See, God created us with this need for relationship. And not just a need for relationship, he created us with a specific need for relationship with him. And we're constantly trying to fill that void in our life. And we look everywhere except God, it seems like. 
We try everything to fill that void. And we keep coming up empty. And we keep coming back with nothing. And every time we die a little inside. Every time. Oh, we try to hold up our defenses. We put up the walls and we won't let anybody in and we tell everybody how tough we are and that everything's good and we've got it all together. It's working out. But inside you're dying. What do you have to lose? Some of you are the walking definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting to get different results. How's it working for you? Not so good, is it? What do you have to lose? What are you really risking if you choose to believe God at that level? If you choose to put all of your belief in Jesus Christ, what do you really have to lose? You have everything to gain, but you've lost in everything else. My challenge to you today would be to take that risk, take that chance, believe in him, put him first, make him the first priority in your life. Don't just sit at the gate and watch the planes fly by and go, oh, I believe planes can fly. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus. But we're called to believe him. It looks a little different. We're called to trust him in every aspect of our life, to depend upon him. Don't wait. Take the risk today. Make today that day that you commit to him and say, I'm be I believe. I'm going all in. I'm going to get on the plane you know, the other one that I see so much and it just breaks my heart is the third type of soil, that thorny soil, the one full of weeds. Because if I'm being honest, I think this is where most people fall. People say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe him. I've made that decision. I, I've accepted God. But when it comes right down to it, are you on the plane? Are you ready to spend eternity with him? Is your life really together? Do you get it? Say, I think too many of us are like the rich young ruler. We come to Jesus and we ask, Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and he says, You don't get it. Yeah, you're believing me in all these areas. Yeah, you're following the law. You're doing all the things. You're checking all the boxes but you're still depending on your wealth to carry you through. You're still depending on your money, on your stuff. You don't really trust me. You're not all in. You haven't chosen to get on the plane. You're dragging that huge suitcase behind you. You know what the airlines does with your suitcase, right? It ain't going to get there. There's no way. If you work for the airlines, I'm sorry. But we've all flown. We know how this goes. It's a 50-50 shot. You stick your bag in that little thing, and you might get it when you get to the other end, or you may not. And some of us approach life that way. We're dragging some piece of luggage behind us. We're not willing to give that, down, give that up or check that so that we can get on the plane. And Jesus is going, wait, you don't believe me. You don't trust me fully. You're still holding on to that. That's your, your little safety blanket, your security blanket that you're holding on to. Give it up. Believe me. It wasn't about wealth. It wasn't about money. Jesus didn't need his money. He wanted his heart. And he knew as long as he was depending on his wealth and depending on his stuff, 
but he was never going to commit fully. He was never going to believe Jesus. He believed in him. He believed in the cause, but he didn't believe him. He wasn't willing to lay it all on the line and risk everything. It seems like every week, either in talking to people in conversation or reading connection cards, I watch all the time people asking for God's blessing. I want God's blessing on my finances. I want God's blessing on this. I want God's blessing on that. And yet we're living together outside of marriage. We're living in sin, black and white from Scripture, and asking for God's blessing. How's that going to work? It's not. You're not on the plane. Week in and week out, I see people or talk to people, and they have language that would make a sailor blush. You're not producing fruit. If anything, you're killing the trees around you. That's not on the plane. It's not a picture of that. It's not the belief that we're talking about here. Guys, some of you, if you're honest about it, haven't picked up your Bible in two, three years to amount to anything. But yet you find time almost every night to get on the Internet and surf for porn. That's not on the plane. And ladies, don't think that you're off the hook because I listen to you talk about Fifty Shades of Grey and I listen to the comments about Magic Mike the movie and all these things that come out. It's no different. Maybe it's emotional porn instead of physical, but it's the same thing. These are all weeds in our life. These are all the thorns that we're dealing with. And there's probably some of you sitting back right now going, I made it. I don't have those things in my life. I'm good. Well, let's talk about some others. Because sometimes it's the not-so-blatant things that grab us. Sometimes it's those weeds that sneak up on us. What about your marriage? Over the last year, two years, if your marriage is not growing in intimacy, are you really on the plane? Because if your focus is on God and if you believe Him, if you believe Jesus, you're growing, you're going to see that reflected in every area of your life. That includes your relationships. Look at your own life. If you're in the same place today that you were two years ago, are you on the plane? See, if we believe Jesus, we're growing. Things are changing. Doesn't make us perfect, but we're growing. If you're not tithing, if you're not giving to your church family, you're not on the plane. If you're not willing to give up control of those things that hold you back, and money's the number one thing that holds us back, let's just be honest. This is when everybody goes, oh, he's talking to me. Because we can give up everything else. Oh, but don't touch my money. I mean, that's how I pay my bills. That's how I put food on the table. That's how I live. Are you on the plane? Do you believe him enough that he's going to take care of that if you trust him with it? If we're not willing to serve in any area, we're needed. We're not on the plane. And I don't mean just picking and choosing, oh, I like to do that, so I'll do that. I mean having a heart of service that says, whatever it takes, whatever's needed, I'm there, I'll do that. I'll do whatever God asks me to do. If you're not reading God's Word on a regular basis and learning about Him and studying Him and learning what He says about you and your life and what He's trying to teach you, you're missing it. You're not on the plane. If you're not connected in a small group or connected with a group of believers in some way where you're doing life together with other people who are on the same journey who can speak into your life and help you to pull those weeds, you're not on the plane. Have I stepped on all your toes yet? 
Do I need to go on? I mean, have I missed any areas? You can figure it out. See, all these things are just little examples. And the reality is it's not about these things. It's not the checklist. It's not the little things we check off. These are a reflection of where our heart is. So ask yourself the question, where is my heart? Where is it really? What kind of soil am I? So you go back to that Galatians passage and it says if you're following your sinful desires, it looks like this. Boom, 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 boom. But if you're following Jesus and if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, it looks like these fruits of the Spirit. Your life reflects the condition of your heart. What's your life reflecting? What is it reflecting? When you see the weeds in your life, what do you do with them? Do you pull the weeds? you yank them out by the root and get rid of them so that you can grow? Or do you do like a lot of us and you just kind of cut them back and trim them where nobody sees? You know, I've got this weed that grows in my backyard. I can't even really call it a weed. It's a tree now. And it's not even my weed. It's my neighbor's weed. It grows through my privacy fence. It's been there like three or four years. And I'm telling you, the trunk on this thing is like this big around now. It's got a three or four inch diameter growing through my privacy fence. It's busted all the boards out of place and it's growing right through and it grows up and it has branches that are eight or ten feet tall. And probably five, six, seven times now I've gone out there and cut all these branches off and drug it out to the front of the road and everybody's like, man, he trimmed his tree. No, I trimmed my weed in the backyard growing through my fence. And it keeps growing back and it keeps growing back and I keep cutting it back to that trunk in my fence and I keep cutting it back, cutting it back, just cutting what I can reach right there beside my privacy fence so that my yard looks good. Never mind, I've got this huge piece of wood sticking through my fence. My yard looks better. And I never take the time, I'm never, I never get over the laziness to go around to my neighbor's yard and dig through her bushes and dig out and yank it out by the roots and get rid of it. I just keep trimming it back. And she's even giving me permission to come get rid of it. And I still don't. And we do the same thing in our life. We have these weeds that grow up in our lives and instead of ripping them out by the root, instead of going through all the pain and the heartache and the trouble of doing that, we just keep trimming them back, trimming them back so nobody else sees them, so nobody else notices. So when you drive down the street, my yard looks good. There's nothing growing up above the fence. But if you look in the backyard, there's this big tree trunk sticking through my fence because I've not ripped the weed out by the roots. And too many of our lives look like that. We've got tree trunks growing in our life and we just keep cutting the branches back so that nobody notices, so that we don't have to pay attention. And you know what happens is you get used to it. Because I told you it's been there three or four years and I've only trimmed it five or six times. It doesn't grow that way overnight. But see, I live there. I don't notice it. I don't pay attention to it. It's like you walk out in the backyard one day and you go, oh my gosh, look at that tree growing in my fence. Well, it's been growing there for the last six months, but I didn't pay any attention Time to cut it now. Time to do something with it. It's, it's overbearing. Now I'm at that point of desperation and hopelessness because, oh my gosh, look at this weed. That's how we do life. We let it grow and grow and grow until we can't take it anymore. And all of a sudden we're overcome and we realize we're being strangled to death by this weed and we have no chance of growing. And then we trim it back a little so we can start all over again. 
you know, if you understand the process of farming, when farmers plant seeds for the first several weeks, sometimes even several months, depending on what they've planted, all of their time and attention is devoted around making sure it's watered, making sure it has the food that it needs, and making sure that the weeds are gone. And they spend hours pulling weeds and getting rid of weeds and treating for weeds and making sure that the weeds are taken care of so the plant can grow. But once you've done that for a little while and the plant begins to grow and it begins to become big and healthy and you've invested in it and you've fed it, guess what? The plant almost takes over the weeds. It doesn't mean the weeds go away because there's still weeds there. You still have to go through and pull them, but the maintenance changes. Instead of focusing on the weeds all the time and constantly yanking the weeds, now you're focused on the plant and keeping it growing and keeping it healthy. And it's the one that's blossoming out over top of the weeds and almost choking them out. And it's all about that focus. What are we focusing on? Because if we're feeding into the plant and making it healthy and helping it to grow, the weeds are not nearly as big of an issue in our lives. But if we don't focus on that plant and we don't help it to grow, the weeds will take over every single time. Every time. It's why we talk all the time about how important it is to be studying God's Word, to be learning about what He says about your life, to be learning who He is. It's why we talk about the importance of small groups. And if you're not in a small group, you're missing out. We're not just saying that for our health. It's because you have to be walking with other believers who can reach into your life and yank those weeds out by the roots and help you to see them. Because when somebody else comes to my house, they see that tree growing in my backyard. Because they haven't been there before and it's all new to them and they're paying attention. I look over it all the time. But they don't. They see it. And they can help me realize, oh, I've got a problem. I have a tree growing through my fence. I need to pull that thing out. We've got to be doing life together. So I ask you this question. What are the weeds in your life? What are those things that started as little weeds and then taller weeds and now they're trees growing through your fence? What are the things that you're trimming back instead of ripping out by the roots? What are the things that keep you from believing Jesus all in, 100%, get on the plane kind of faith and belief? morning the band's going to come and they're going to play a song and it talks about the blood of Jesus. And just like our scripture says out in the hallway when you read that, Jesus came and he sacrificed his life. He laid his life down for us and let his blood be spilt so that you and I could experience freedom from the bondage of sin. And whether you're making that decision for the very first time today, whether you're that hardened path that just won't accept the seed because you've been hurt in every other area and you just don't feel like you can risk it and trust, or whether you're the person who accepted it a long time ago but you've got so many weeds in your life that you can't even see it anymore. My challenge to you today is this. Don't leave here without coming with a repentful heart and asking God to point out those things in your life and help you to rip those weeds out and start fresh on that journey with him, to allow you to believe him for the first time. Not believe in him. Like I told you before, even the demons believe in him. But to allow you to believe him, to go all in, to commit 100%, to get on the plane. Our prayer team and some of our pastors are going to be up front. 
And if you're making the decision for the first time today, this is the first time you're saying, I want to commit to Jesus. I want to believe him. I would encourage you, come and talk to one of us. Let us help you with the next steps. Let us talk to you about what that means and pray with you. If you're coming because you have weeds in your life that you need to take care of, you're welcome to come and pray with one of us, but even more, I would encourage you, grab somebody that's doing life with you. Grab somebody from your small group. Grab a friend that you're walking with and bring them along and share with them and be open about the weeds in your life and what you need help with. You can't do it alone. But I can promise you this, if you make that decision and you commit to him, God will walk with you. And it doesn't mean your problems go away. It doesn't mean things just magically get better. That's not true. It doesn't. But it does change your perspective as you look at it because God will walk with you. And God's people will walk with you. That's what we're called to do. That's why we do life together. So let today be the day that you commit to believe him to have those dangerous takeover properties in your faith, to be like that mustard seed that's growing into a plant that takes over everything around it. Let's pray. God, speak to our hearts this morning. I know that this week you've challenged my heart and you've pointed out some of those weeds that I don't like to look at and that I don't like to think about and I often just don't pay attention to if I'm being honest. But I'm also just as confident that you're pointing out those things in others this morning. So I pray that each of us would let go of our pride, would let go of our desire to control things, and would let go of our, our ego, and would humble ourselves with a repentant heart before you, confessing our belief in you, asking you to point out those weeds and to help us pull them out by the root, helping us to begin a new and a fresh journey today. We commit this time to you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and as the band plays, if God's speaking to your heart, you come. The cross is here. Maybe you just need to kneel before the cross at the front of the stage and have some time to pray. Do that. I'm actually going to set, there's baskets of the, the uh, mustard seeds that are still back here from last week, and I'm going to put them out by the cross. You know, last week, Brian asked, challenged you to come and get some mustard seeds and write someone's name on them, somebody that you were praying about, something that needed to change in your life. But what if what you needed to write on an envelope was you, your own name? Maybe it's you that needs to be growing like that. So you have another opportunity this morning to grab a pouch of those mustard seeds and take it back to your seat write your own name on it and take it home where you can look at that and see that every day as that reminder of the growth that God wants to do in you. Let us start fresh today.